Hey, this is Anna, and before we get into this week's episode, I have to correct an egregious oversight from last week's episode on the Ahsoka Hunted arc, which is that I realized in the shower, having shower thoughts, we didn't ask the single most important question about the Ahsoka Hunted arc. What is that? It's what happened to Jinx and Omer? Oh. Our little baby Padawan youngling force adjacent youths that... You know, think, were abandoned. Force youths. Yeah. Force youth powers. They were abandoned for dead to be hunted down by the Trandoshans. And, you know, they were rescued. And what happened to them? Okay. Do you what have happened an, to the babies? Do you have any theories? No, Sam. And since you are the canon czar, I thought maybe you could help us okay. out here. I have the, uh, in the old system, this would be S canon for S plus for Sam canon. <laughs> here is what happened. Okay. Lay it on me. Omer, a Syrian is from a species where the gender ratio is skewed. There are more men than women. Yeah, like Kiati Mundi. Like Kiati Mundi, who is allowed to take wives. So Omer was booted out of the Jedi Order because it took him too long to gain control of his powers. But that fortunately saved him from Order 66. So he went back to Surya and became an accountant with what? a harem of nine wives. No way. While there, during the dark days of the Empire, there was a huge crime syndicate, which the uh, Trandoshans showed up with, and he was able to use his force manipulation and accountancy powers to keep them from taking over Surya. He lived a long and happy life until being killed by the Pikes. What? Yeah. Wait, so did he kin did he continue using the force? Only in the most subtle of ways, because as part of the precondition for leaving the Jedi Order, you do have to shun your attachment to the Force. What? Yeah. So they picked him up from the beach, they brought him back to the temple, and he just couldn't continue training just as a Jedi? Continue. And Kiati Mundi knew this. Whoa. So sent him back because men folk are so prized in their culture. This is a Sam Nilsson theory I made up just now. Oh, that's not, that's not what happened? Absolutely not. Sam! <laughs> okay, well, what do you think happened to Jinx? Well, minor spoilers for the book of Boba Fett. Weo, weo, spoiler alert. Um, Jinx, the Twi'lek, managed to escape Order 66, make his way to Tatooine, and insinuate himself as a trusted advisor for various casinos and such before becoming one of Lady Garza's most trusted advisors. That's him in Book of Boba Fett, the ripped topless Twi'lek male this wandering is, around. This is your Sam canon theory? This is also a Sam canon theory. Okay. I feel like you don't like this one as much, or it's not as believable. I feel like I actually want to know what happened. We literally never see them again. We never see them again? Not once. It There's feels... not, not in comic books, not... Nothing. That feels crazy. I mean, we have these two powerful younglings that were mm -hmm. abandoned for dead. No one could find them for years and years and years. They finally find them, and then no one even bothers to like see what happens to them after that. Or Lord Vader, first day of the job, kills him. It feels totally wild to me that we like cut to the credits at the end of season three and Dave Filoni never bothered to be like, and here's what happened to these extremely traumatized babies you know, that we spent two episodes with. I think that's really interesting because it brings up the thing that we've talked about a few times in Star Wars, which is the size noodles effect a little bit of, yes, you thought she was just a dancer in what used to be the prime edition of Return of the Jedi and has since been replaced by a special edition. 
but you can make a whole Clone Wars episode about her. Uh, Pondo Abba became a character in Rogue One after being in a bar for two seconds in A New Hope. Every single character in Star Wars has a backstory, and in a way, a character without a backstory is unique and powerful in their own right. I'm not sure that this makes me feel any better about Jinx and Omer. Nothing matters. Life is short and meaningless. Let's move on. <laughs> Nihilism from Sam. You're I mean, welcome. But there's freedom in it. You can write your own story about what happened to Jinx and Omer. Maybe they have a farm on Felucia next to Cutlequain and Sue, and they just live there. Two single Force-sensitive dudes raising space cattle, watching over the kids, occasionally killing clones, trying to keep a low profile and living the good life. Okay, I love that. All right. If you are still into fanfic, please write that fanfic for me. I would read the heck out of that. You're the writer. (laughs) This has been Where Are They Now? Jinx and Omer edition. And um, (laughs) if you have theories that are better than Sam's theories, maybe tweet them at us. Yeah, because I run the Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tweet him at Sam. He'll let me know what's up. Uh, Inquiring minds want to know. Thanks, Anna. You're welcome. (laughs) All right, that's it. We're wrapping it up. We're getting into the next arc, which is the Mon Cala arc. Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. I'm Sam. Hi, I'm Anna. And today we're starting off on season four of The Clone wee-oh, Wars. Wee-oh. Welcome to season four. It's been a long time coming. We're in the second. No, we're not in the second half of the show. We're in the middle of the show. We're so close to being in the second half of the show, but <laughs> we're like halfway. Yeah. So this is the Moncala arc where we hang out with lots of fishy folk. Mm-hmm. Starts off with season four, episode one, Water War. When destiny calls, the chosen have no choice. What a fortune cookie. Yeah, for real. So Moncala is a planet that has two sentient species on it. The squid people, the quarren, and the... Not squid, uh, not squid people. people. There's different squid people. Cuttlefish people. Oh, yes. The there we go. There we go. Points are, for accuracy yeah, here. Yeah, the Mon Calamari. And they are, well, they were all being led by the king who was found sleeping at the fishes. So Sam. <laughs> okay, he was murdered. Yes, which is different than his normal sleeping. But. Yes. And the Corin refused to legitimize the rule of his son, Prince, Prince Lee, Lee Char. Char. Right. And they, so there's this big conflict. Padme and Anakin are brought in to mediate, and the Quarren are siding with the Separatists, and they are being represented by Ambassador Riff Tamsin, who is a shark person. A literal shark man who is stirring up resentments against the Republic. So civil war seems inevitable. They phone into Coruscant, and that seems to be what's going on. Princely Char is talking with his various people, including Captain Akbar, who is apparently the leader of the Moncala militia or army, and their the Moncala senator, Senator Tillis Tills? Trills? Something like that. Mina Trills. Not super important. 
But anyway, he's sitting there, Prince Lichar, and he's like, I don't think the Quarren will attack. And that is the moment, in fact, that the Quarren attack. They've brought in a whole bunch of those squid ships. And the, uh, the trident ships with the tentacles yeah, from ARC troopers. Yeah. So there is a full-on underwater fight. Dooku, importantly, is mm-hmm. behind all of it. Well, of course. I mean, he knows that he's like... Riff Tamsin is saying, hey, you guys should join with the Separatists. The Quarren are separating out the planet. We want this. So... Yeah, but Dooku is a hardliner for all these things. And so they are ambushing everyone. They're attacking. It is real scary. Princely Char is leading from the front, and Anakin is like, we cannot do this. And Akbar is like, I have been ordered to listen to whatever the prince says because he is in charge of the military. So Prince Leechard decides to lead Padme and Anakin mm-hmm. around the battle. They're trying to get behind the Corin. Yeah. But a huge thing falls down and cuts off their route, and the battle just goes all crazy. It is really bad. However, just in time, well, not quite just in time, because everyone gets split off. Anakin is sitting there, and he's ambushed by some corn. They pull his helmet off. But right then, Ahsoka and Kit Fisto show up with their regiment of clone troopers in this super cool scene. They're flying like Three feet above the surface of the water, they all jump in. Kit Fisto is shirtless, of course. He's in shorts and what God gave him. <laughs> and they jump in and come in just in time for Ahsoka to give Anakin his helmet back. She flies up in her fighting. cool shooter jet ski. She tosses him the helmet. He was mm-hmm. like, I had it under control. She was like, yes, clearly we are just going to operate under that <laughs> assumption. Keep having this conversation. So Ahsoka then jets off to mm-hmm. save the prince from Tamsin, who is yeah. savaging everyone he he can get his many layers of teeth on. Yeah, he'll just like swim through a crowd of clones and rip them all to pieces. It's really scary. Horrifying. There's a very scary chase scene mm-hmm. through these underwater gerbil tunnels all over the city. Yeah, and he uh, they're not afraid that he's going to break through, but he breaks through one of them. With his big shark head. Oh my gosh. Horrifying. And it turns out that Dooku has a mystery weapon it's that the, is going to turn the tide of the battle. Well, it's Rift Tamsons from his home planet and they're cyber jellyfish called hydroid medusas. Half machine, half monster. And all electro tentacles and they shock everyone and start taking them prisoner. They're so. like giant glowing electrical jellyfish and nothing seems to stop them. They are Mm-mm. just so. Sol- Slowly electrocuting the Mon Calamari army. The Aquadroids pin the Mon Calamari from behind and they have to retreat. So they're heading to the caves. Kit Fisto says, I'll cover our retreat. He grabs one of the little jet skis that they're riding around on and flies it into one of these hydroid medusas and blows it up and smiles. So they're on the run. And that's when we move into the second episode. Gungan attack. Which is a little bit of a spoiler for what happens, but... Oh my God, it's so great, Sam. (laughs) Okay, the fortune cookie only through fire is a strong sword forged. Mm -hmm. It's one of the tightest fortune cookies we've gotten in a Dooku and the Jedi both are taking a breath. They're plotting the next phase of the battle. They're importantly, Dooku is all about capturing and killing the prince because he needs to crush the hope of the yeah, Moncala people. He's like, we cannot let Prince Leechar become a symbol for revolution for these people that we have now enslaved as basically prisoners of war. Yeah, we must destroy hope. Yes. 
So the Separatists have reinforcements ready, but the Jedi and the Republic do not. It will take days to get more clone troops outfitted for the underwater battles. Mm -hmm. So Yoda says, hmm, if only we had allies who could breathe underwater and just so happen to have a standing army. I guess it's time to call the Gungans. Yes. Oh, it is so great. So meanwhile, back on Mon Cala, the Jedi and friends are trying to get to their ship on the, surp- on the surface. Mm-hmm. The Separatists know about it. Yeah, the Separatists know about it. So it's a trap. They've set all of the prisoners from the battle to work. So there are clone troopers kind of floating around. And Kit Fisto thinks that he can like... Turn some of the clone troopers to his advantage. He's like flinging speeders down to Padme and mm-hmm. Anakin. It's very cool, but they're almost to the surface when Tamsin springs the trap. And the ship blows up. The ship blows up. It sends debris crashing down through the water. They have to grab hold and they go like shooting down to the seafloor. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they're equalizing the pressure that fast. That, that is, is a very. Exactly what I was thinking. Okay, it's, yeah. it's space stuff, you know. It's a space ocean. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, help is on the way. The Gungans take about three seconds to deliberate if they should help the Jedi or not. And, Mm -hmm. you know, since Padme got them sovereignty in the Phantom Menace, it is a pretty easy argument for Representative Binks to make. So they're like, we're ready. We're going to help the Republic. We're going to zoom in. Back on Mon Calamari, Anakin and Padme decide to take out the comms equipment. So the scanners, so the that scanners. the separatists won't be able to see that the Gungans are arriving. And as they're doing that, Prince Lee Char is having a radicalizing moment about his leadership ability. Mm-hmm. So Anakin collapses a whole building, he takes out the sonar, he takes out the radar. And down below, Prince Lee Char is witnessing all of his people enslaved. Yeah. And he is really beat up about that. Yeah. And they're not even enslaved by the Quarren per se. They're being enslaved by all of Dooku's separatist forces. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I need to become more powerful. I need to save my people. Mm -hmm. And Ahsoka tells him this line that just gave me goosebumps all over. She says, you don't have to carry a sword to be powerful. Some leader's strength is inspiring greatness in others. Yeah. And that is what Lichar takes to heart. We cut to a scene. He's blowing an absolutely enormous shell. Mm -hmm. He yells for his people to have hope, to rally to the cause. They're like, yes, we will fight for the prince. And at that exact moment, Sam... The Gungans arrive. Yes, and they cause all sorts of ruckus and start carving a path. Yeah, they swan dive into the water, Mm -hmm. spears ready. It is just a giant cloud of Gungan warriors, and they go ham. Mm -hmm. They wreck these hydroid medusas. Using their Gungan orbs of danger. Yeah, like like they're nothing. Mm -hmm. Just Gungan orbs everywhere. Ahsoka and the prince are going nuts. The tide of the battle is turning. But then Tamsin sends all of their reinforcements down to where the prince and Ahsoka are trying to liberate the people. Yeah. He says, I know that they're coming in one place. So commit our reserves to the prisoners because that's where the prince is going to Yes, be. exactly. So they send down one of the trident tentacle ships so it can swirl around in the water and it starts a giant whirlpool. And everyone's like getting caught in it. It's super crazy. It's crazy. Ahsoka shoves Prince Lichar into kind of the eye of the storm where mm-hmm. it's calmer. 
But then Tamsin comes jetting out of the mouth of his ship. He's headed straight for the prince. Mm -hmm. Incredibly fun battle sequence. Ahsoka throws the shark man into the rest of the vortex. Meanwhile, Kit Fisto and Anakin are blowing up the vortex trident ship. Yeah, there's this amazing moment. Ahsoka turns herself into a lightsaber death whirly gig. It's so <laughs> cool. And finally, Anakin is able to sever one of the tentacles, stops the whirlpool. But we end the episode with everyone surrounded. The only advantage at the end of this episode is that Ahsoka and the prince are still out there and the prince is ready to unite his people and end the war. Well, he's afraid. And Ahsoka says, if you make decisions out of fear, you're more likely to be wrong. Mm -hmm. So then we get to the final episode. Prisoners. Crowns are inherited. Kingdoms are earned. Ah, oh, phenomenal. So while Ahsoka and Lee Char are coming up with a plan... We have Jar Jar, Anakin, Padme, and Kit Fisto all being put up on the rack. And it's very scary because there's this droid and they've got, you know, crab clampy arms. And so they put Jar Jar and Padme on the clamps. They put Kit Fisto and Anakin under the electric eel cage. I just want to point out this is the second arc in a row where Anakin gets electrocuted. Oh, gosh. It sucks. Yeah, Kit Fisto's like, ooh, electric eels, very dangerous. And <laughs> Anakin's just getting shocked to pieces with these electric eels. And they're being tortured for where Prince Leechar is. Which they don't really know. No, they don't. So Ahsoka and Prince Leechar are coming up with a plan, and their plan is to stage a jailbreak. But first they're going to sneak into the... Uh, the prison where everyone is. Yeah, they realize that the only way to overcome the separatists is to unite everybody. So the the Mon Calamari, mm -hmm. the Corrin, the Gungans, and the clones. And so at this point, we also see Dooku and Rift Tamsin and the Quarren leader, whose name is uh his name is Nasari, and he is uh like, hey, this deal's getting worse all the time. Yeah, and the Corrin realized that this mm -hmm. is all slipping out of their control. It's becoming very clear that Dooku manufactured a crisis, the coup, to mm -hmm. get the Corrin to pledge to the Separatists yeah. so that he could twist all of this to his advantage. Yeah. So they, uh, the good guys sneak into the camp and Prince Lichar is super inspiring. He inspires Akbar to like join forces. And Akbar says, well, when is the moment to attack? And he says, when the Quarren turn on the Separatists. Mm -hmm. So he already knows, the Prince already knows that he's going to be able to turn them around. Meanwhile, in the torture chamber, Rift Tamsin goes up to Padme and bites a tiny hole in her helmet. And so it's starting to fill. So the clock is ticking. It is getting pretty crazy. And also Rift Tamsin is bringing in a whole bunch of other shark men, and he's like, now I get to be king of Moncala. Yeah, so he turns on the Quarren senator. He's mm -hmm. like, I will be the one sitting on the throne, not the Quarren. And he leaves Padme to die yes. because a call came in that Lee Char is demanding an audience. Because Lee Char was, in fact, seen and captured while in prison talking to yes. Akbar. And now they're going to stage his execution. So in order to save Padme, Gifisto and Anakin form a force bubble and then Jar Jar spits on her helmet 
It is Gungan waterproofing, my <laughs> friends. This is after Anakin completely ignored Jar Jar, by the way. Yeah. And Jar Jar saved the day. So 10 strikes for Anakin. Irredeemable. Get out of town. Anakin, you are worthless. You know, Jar Jar never speaks up unless he has a really good idea. Like, there are people in my life who I'm like, 99% of the stuff they say I can safely ignore. But Jar Jar is like... Always saying the right thing. Gold star for Jar Jar. We're we're where Jar Jar stands here, and it's we have evidence. We have receipts. Anyway, everyone, the whole gang is brought together to see the public execution of Prince Lee Char, and they send three sharkmen to rip him apart. Right then, Nasuri flies in and inks a path through them. He had previously given Captain Akbar a gun. He says, Nasari, Nasari, and the Korin are with you. Yes. And so now it is a full fight. The clones and the Quarren and the Moncala all fight the Separatists off. And then comes the boss fight. There's Gungans and Quarrens, and it's like a back and forth. It's almost like a... Uh, an old Warner Brothers cartoon. It's a lot of crazy violence. But Rift Hampson decides to kill everyone and bounce or to kill everyone and solve the problem. So he takes a bunch of like crazy, dark, serrated, ex- uh, grenade extractable knives. knives. Yeah, grenade knives and stabs them like six people with them. They beep for three seconds and explode. So he like leaves heading towards the prince in a cloud of gore from like the six people who tried to attack him. He gets to the prince. They they clash. The prince grabs the knife and he's sitting there with a gun and a knife and Rift Hampson's ready to tear him apart. The prince flings the knife at Rift Hampson, gets him in the shoulder and it's beeping and Rift Hampson is charging towards him, gnashing his teeth with his horrific shark roar that he's been doing this entire time. The prince is shooting and he can't hit him. He can't hit him. He can't hit him. And then finally he hits the grenade in his shoulder he explodes and we see a decapitated, exploded shark head float past Princely Char in the goriest moment of Officially Clone Wars. Officially the goriest Clone Wars thing we've seen oh. ever. And it is like in detail, you see his eyes clouded over and his teeth. And as we zoom in on his teeth, we move to the next scene, which is Prince Lee Char's coronation. Yes. And everyone supports him. He they did crown a good job. him. The Quarren pledge their loyalty to him. Mm-hmm. He pledges his loyalty to all the peoples of Mancala. Mm-hmm. And he is now King Lee Char. Roll credits. Woo! Oh my God. This arc was packed, Sam. Oh yeah. So what do you want to start with? Wow. Okay. I just want to say for the record, when I saw the title of the first episode, Water War, this is very much not what I was expecting. I was thinking that maybe we were going to get like a water rights battle on Tatooine. (laughs) I was not expecting three underwater episodes. And it took almost all three episodes to convince me that this was actually a worthwhile arc. Yeah, it's funny that they decided to do this one as the intro for season four, because the first episode definitely doesn't seem super strong. It's not strong. I have lots of thoughts about it. I definitely want to talk about it. I didn't think the conflict was interesting. I didn't think Lee Char was a compelling character. But as soon as it all became a trick, like a righteous battle for sovereignty against Mm -hmm. Dooku, 
you know me, I love a good sovereignty <laughs> plot. I was all in. Well, that's interesting because like in our human world history, there are so many times where the sovereignty of a nation is actually being like a puppet thing organized by other countries. Like mm -hmm. even the American uh, Revolution, we were deeply funded by France because mm -hmm. France was like, you know who we hate? England. And you're rebelling against England. So we'll give you tons of stuff. So like it's very rarely is an actual sovereign nation fighting back. And when they do, they almost always lose. Mm. But yeah. Yeah. I just, I want to talk about the elephants in the room before we get into yeah, some of the main stuff. The rendering was truly not great in these three episodes. You don't think so? I don't. I think there were some real shaky bits of animation. Mm -hmm. You know me, I have never once ever in the history of this podcast, complained about the quality of the Clone Wars. This is true. You even liked it in Ambush. I did. And I'm registering my first complaint. Specifically with regards to what? So the notion of an underwater battle is very cool. But in reality, it ends up that everything is kind of in slow motion. And it's dark. It's dark. It's murky. It turns out when animated characters are swimming underwater, it looks like they're just kind of wiggling. Yeah, well, and that's, when you, that's what swimming looks like. Yeah, yeah. It's just <laughs> it's not it's not great. And when you're watching people get killed in an underwater battle scene, they kind of they get hit and they float backwards for a second, and then they just kind of hang out there. I actually thought that was really cool. It lent an interesting element to all the battles that the. The three-dimensionality of it let the players move up and down and back and forth, and you never really had, like, you could always escape somewhere. And I thought they really touched on that well. Yeah, that's true. It was a very dynamic way to stage these battles. Mm -hmm. I just think there were a couple moments, especially during the Whirly Gig scene with the Trident ships, where the animators are trying to create this effect of motion. Mm -hmm. And also when they're sinking down to the bottom of the seafloor with the debris, they're trying to create a feeling of them falling down and it ends up just looking kind of like wind currents are blowing past everyone's faces. Mm -hmm. It was not immersive for me. You weren't there. I was not submerged <laughs> in this episode. <laughs> Although like you know, you see Kit Fisto and his tentacles. And oh my God, his tentacles like a, flowing in the current is mm -hmm. such a vibe. Ton yeah. of ton. So I think there's, I, I agree, but that's because I've spent my, in my previous lives, I've been a geophysicist and a raft guide. And so I know a little bit about the way water moves and seeing water move like that in the bottom of the ocean when it should be like actually moving and cavitating and things like that was artistic license. Yeah. But I could suspend my disbelief on that. I also did lose my uh, sense of disbelief, like you said, for one second when they are just dropping to the bottom of the ocean. Oh I'm my like, God. oh, they should die. You but. should equalize approximately every meter as you are making your descent <laughs> to the bottom of the ocean. So they should have, you know, been puking up blood, basically. Well, I guess the, yeah, because there were clones doing that too. Mm -hmm. So the clones probably had, you know, combat drugs to help them. The Maybe. Je the Jedi had the force. Yeah. And the other ones Padme had nothing. Creatures. Padme was just raw dogging this experience. That's how she rolls. Anyway, that is my one complaint. I have registered it. We can That's now move on to everything from. else. <laughs> what is, so what do you want to talk about? Um, so the idea of a planet 
like a water planet that has two sentient species on it. You know, because this is like old Star Wars legend stuff mm. going back to Mon Cala because Admiral Akbar is famously from uh, Return of the Jedi. General Akbar, right? No, he's Admiral Akbar. Oh, Admiral. Case. Yeah, he gets promoted on a different track. And then later on, you have Admiral, well, earlier later, you have Admiral Radis on the uh, ship in Rogue One. Hmm. And so the Mon Cala and the Mon Calamari have, like, they're one of the most famous Star Wars alien races, which is super cool. As are the Quarren, because we see a lot of them. It's a hmm. pretty easy costume to make. And... The idea that, first of all, they're from the same planet. So you have two sentient species on the same planet, and obviously they have conflict mm -hmm. is super interesting to me. Yeah. Now, the other thing that's interesting about that is in a water planet, you actually have so much more space for that because you have different zones of water, right? Mm -hmm. You have like the benthic zone and the pelagic zone and the coral zone mm -hmm. and all these places where a creature could live and develop sentience and it might not even ever even meet the other creature that develops sentience because oceans are so huge. That's fascinating. Yeah. So I find that part very cool. I actually really did enjoy the combat scenes. All of the fights in this one are very cool in terms of they're a little bit repetitive. They're a little bit silly, but just the idea of um, it was almost like each one was a space battle. Yeah. And that like you have one cloud of fighters flying towards another cloud of fighters and they're shooting at each other. And then once they get into knife fighting range, they bust out their knife fights. Like even the, uh, the Mon Cala weapon is like a long staff, mm -hmm. you know, with a, a barrel for the laser gun. And then the, the handle of it is a big ax. And so they would stab at people. And I thought that that lent itself to a really cool just way of making the battle seem different. Yeah. Dynamic was the word that kept coming to mind mm -hmm. because you're not limited by gravity. So mm -hmm. you can go up and down and spin around just without even ever having to fall back to Earth. Another thing I really liked about this, changing gears a bit, is uh, Princely Char's character growth. Yeah. So Princely Char starts out and Captain Akbar is like, dude, he is not ready. He is not ready to be trained. He's not ready to lead the troops. But then he is ordered to let him do that and to be his bodyguard. I mean, first of all, this poor baby is not only grieving his dad, but he also has to regain control after a coup. Yeah. I mean, this is like too much. And also, I noted that this is continuing the very Star Wars tradition of very young monarchs. Yes. Yeah. Although. Um, We've got Padme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Padme and thinking of even Satine being quite young as well, because that's another thing I noted was mm -hmm. it is funny that Ahsoka can spend all this quality alone time with a prince of Mon Cala and there's like no chemistry. <laughs> so the dynamic between Ahsoka and Lee Char reminds me very much of what Anakin was supposed to be doing in Attack of the Clones. Yes. He was supposed to be defending the young monarch of Naboo. Mm -hmm. And instead he was having a very romantic all expenses paid vacation to the Lake Country, but Ahsoka just does a phenomenal job as his right-hand Jedi guard. Yeah, and she does great the whole time. She is uh, 
she's got a very cool helmet and shows up just in the nick of time. She has some really cool fight scenes. So she does great. Did you notice that throughout the first two episodes, everyone is always putting their hands on the prince? No. So Ahsoka, Akbar, Padme, they've always got like a hand around his shoulders or they're patting him on the arm or they're patting him on the back. It's this like protective instinct mm-hmm. that I noticed that they have with even. him. Supportive, yeah. And I'm going to be honest, I was not convinced by Prince Lee Char's character basically in the first two episodes. I was like, this is a very young boy trying mm-hmm. to keep up with the grown-ups. Yeah, just hatched. But there's this really cool thing that happens when I'm sorry, I'm st- I'm laughing. <laughs> it took me a minute. <laughs> it took me a minute. <laughs> Do you think he's like Nemo? He's like the one little anemone baby that made it? Probably. No. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Anyway, so this great thing happens because Akbar at the beginning of the first episode is always like telling Prince Lichar what to do or what mm-hmm. to say. And then he's like, mm, but it's up to the prince. Yeah. Being kind of a puppet master and in a protective kind of way. Yeah. There's a really strong moment of that in the second episode when the hydroid Medusa's attack and Akbar says, don't fire until the prince says. Yeah. And then, and then he turns to the prince and he's like, now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is an interesting way of training someone, but I think is the proper way to train someone for this type of context when you have these limited resources. When I you're think so. Yeah. yeah. But the growth for Lee Char doesn't happen until he's separated from Akbar, until Akbar is taken prisoner. Mm-hmm. And then he has to come up with all of the plans and the strategies on his own. Although there is another moment, I think, of important growth. So there's a scene where um, after... Lichar and Padme and Anakin fly off to perform a diversion and bring in reinforcements behind. Akbar is sitting there and he's pulling a pulling a full-on patent. He's got a gun in each hand. He's firing. He's screaming. He's ah. And then he swims up to Prince Lichar. And Prince Lichar is like, oh yeah. And Akbar says, they're cheering for you. And Lichar says, no, they're ch- they're cheering for them, you know, the people, the, the reinforcements, the reinforcements. The and then Akbar hands him one of his rifles and says, then make it for you. Yeah. And I think that's really important for his character growth because he's having to be forged as the sword in the second. Okay, yeah. I wanted to talk about the pattern of the fortune cookies mm-hmm. because I think they actually reflect Lee Char's journey really beautifully. Yes. He goes from having no choice mm-hmm. to being forged in fire mm-hmm. to earning his kingdom, not inheriting it. Yes. I think that is so cool because, you know, in the beginning of the arc, I was like, whatever, this is just a baby monarch pretending to tag along. Mm -hmm. And by the end, I was like, oh, this is a king. Yeah, he has so much growth. And the big part of it was that rather than give into the divisiveness of the people he represents, Mm -hmm. the Quarns and the Moncala, he... uh, He's never puts that into doubt. He's always saying it's all about us all together. I mean, that is the power of a very young monarch, right? You're not jaded. You're not cynical. You might have seen the historic struggles of your people, but you're not as tied to them. I think when you're young, everything feels more hopeful. Mm -hmm. And so what I found myself thinking at the end of the third episode was, 
Wow, if you can get all of the races and classes of your world to rise up against the oppressors, you really are more powerful than the people trying to keep you down. Absolutely. Which is uh, just an amazing Star Wars story to be telling. Mm -hmm. And the context of it being a young monarch fighting against an older evil monarch is also part of the Star Wars element, right? Because it's always a feudal society, Mm. which is interesting. The power dynamics between Captain Akbar, the senator, all I mean, all the senators, because there's three senators on this planet, four senators on this planet at one point, the ambassador, all these high level people all giving each other orders and seeing like Mm. who receives orders from whom is also interesting for the way Star Wars, the Star Wars universe works. Yeah, I thought this was a very cool Star Wars story. Yes, yes. I want to call back to what you were talking about previously, mm-hmm. which was the idea of two sentient species on one planet. Yeah. I think it was a very clever move to bring the Gungans back into this arc. And I want to talk about why. Yeah. So my favorite part of The Phantom Menace, besides pod racing, because that is- That's everyone's favorite part. That is everyone's favorite part. It's in a class all on its own. It is phenomenal. Favorite other part of Phantom is the Gungan sovereignty plot. Mm-hmm. Like, you know this about me. Yeah. I just, I love international relations and politics mm-hmm. and dynamics. So the Gungans are natives to Naboo with no representation on their planet mm-hmm. or in the galaxy, as yeah. far as we know. And I think that they could have had an extremely valid reason to act just as the Quarren did in this arc to rise up against the Naboo royalty who were denying them representation and a say in their world. Mm -hmm. Instead, they throw their lot in with the Republic. It has a lot to do with Jar Jar and with Qui-Gon. And I think they are a perfect mirror to the Quarren and Mon Calamari conflict in this arc. And that they play the role of the Quarren? Well, these are both battles for sovereignty and for representation. Mm -hmm. So in the Gungan situation, you not only have Jar Jar fighting for representation, but you have a sympathetic monarch, which is Padme, right? Mm -hmm. Who brokers the negotiations that allow for the Gungans to share in the governance and the representation of Naboo. Mm -hmm. In the Quarren and the Mon Calamari situation, it's a little bit different because the Quarren don't think that they have a leader who will stand up for them in Lee Char. They have to yeah. see him in action and see that he's willing to fight to the death for their people. Mm-hmm. He's willing to represent them. He's willing to hear them. He's willing to die for their freedom yeah. before they can trust him to be that representative for them. While that's true, Prince Lee Char talks about how things were pretty much okay until this Rift Tamsin character showed up and started insinuating himself into Quarren politics. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think the Gungans had such a, you know, a figure of resentment, like stirring up these divides, right? So I think that's why the Gungan story went a little differently. Yeah. Did you just say not yet? Not yet. Sam, you can't do this to me. (laughs) I can't handle this. The Gungans are my faves. So I, I agree with you that the politics here and like the self-determination is a really important thing. The idea of, because we've seen it a few times now. The uh, the talls in Trespass. 
Oh, well, I was more thinking of in Star Wars how like it feels like perhaps the Gungans don't take their representation super seriously when they're like, Jar Jar, you're an outcast. We don't like you around here. How about you be the representative of our people at the Galactic Senate? They made him a general in Phantom Menace, though. Like they, this is true. they, they trusted him. That, you know, you're right. Um, Give Jar Jar credit where credit is due, it, it, it Sam. Is, it is his thing. He is constantly underestimated. Yeah, even by you. I wonder if that's like a weird force power he has that he's just always underestimated. Fascinating. But anyway, so basically every major sentient species seems to have a senator or representative as mm-hmm. well as some leader. Mm-hmm. Either like a chairman or a president or a king. And the relationship between that senator and that leader of head of state is really interesting. Hmm. And we saw it several times here, as well as you know, with Jar Jar, that like that gives them a significant voice in international in like interplanetary politics. Yeah, Jar Jar was the one to convince the Gungan leader to send the mm-hmm. troops, right? He's like, I don't know, we're gonna have to think about this. And Jar Jar's like, come on, this is Padme. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I'm done thinking. Yeah, the time, it's time for thinking to roll. is done. That that's a funny scene. It's so good. So yeah, I, there's a lot of cool, interesting politics in this one. Lots of cool, interesting droids as well. I love the hydro droids. Ooh, I love their yeah. dark voices. The aqua droids mm-hmm. are very, very scary. They're very streamlined. They're silvery. Yeah, the uh, the ships and everything. There's just a lot of cool effects going on. Can so, we talk about mm-hmm. some Star Wars tech for a minute? Yeah, sure. I have been asking since the Phantom Menace mm-hmm. where the underwater rebreathers are. They're with... Qui-Gon's coat. He, they burned them at the end of Phantom Menace. Okay, <laughs> Sam, those are not the only rebreathers in Me. the entire galaxy. You don't know that. But only okay, so so I've been asking, and here mm-hmm. we are with three underwater episodes, and only Ahsoka gets a cool rebreather, and Anakin and Padme get fish bowls over their heads for the plot. So, so they can be saved from drowning both respectively. I think that perhaps it's it's a difference of the requirements, right? Because when Anakin and Padme show up, they're like, "Hey, we're sending you to Moncala to negotiate between the Quarrens and the Moncala. So you need something where people can see your faces." And when Ahsoka goes to Moncala, they're like, "You are going into an active combat zone. You need to go kick some butt." Yeah. Hmm. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay, I'm hashtag not convinced. I uh, I enjoy the seal pattern on Commander uh, Clone Commander Monk's armor because oh. he's a monk seal. Oh my god, that is phenomenal! I just like the scuba suits for the clone troopers. They I think they're cool. very cool. They look really cool. The hydro droids have they can spin their ankles into propellers. No way! Yeah, that's oh, how they that's get along phenomenal. so fast. So there's. There's cool stuff. The uh, the shark people, I think they're called carcadons or something, mm-hmm. are incredibly terrifying. They are so scary. Just the way that Tamsin's voice just seamlessly turns into a big shark roar. Mm-hmm. Also, he is a great maniacal laugh. He yes. like tilts his head back and his <laughs> shark jaws open all the way. Yes. His gums go back. He's got like 18 rows of teeth and he's like, ha 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 ha. Well, he gets into a fight and I think Kit Fisto rams into him at like crazy high speed. And then he, uh, Riff Tamsin puts his jaw back together. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Yeah, like, un 
displaces his jaw. He's like grabs it back and puts it into place and is ready to go again. He is a wonderful villain. He is such a fantastic villain. And he's voiced by just like this melodious voice that fills the room with like menace and danger. It's I was going to well say, done. we have a strong Clone Wars tradition now of incredibly good villain voices. And I think this is one of the strongest. Definitely. I definitely, definitely. thought the Citadel arc had a great villain voice, mm-hmm. but I don't know. This one had something special. Yeah. Had that special sauce. <laughs> the death of Tamsin is interesting because yes. did you catch that Jaws reference or was that just me? <laughs> Which one? You know how they kill uh-huh. Jaws? Yeah. They, you know, explode him, him from inside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, that is a great way to kill an underwater creature. I also just think it's fun that, you know, there's such a strong animated motif of like the fish head. <laughs> and uh, that that freaking gory fish head floating through the water was just, it was gnarly. That, that, uh, that is definitely PG-13 right there. That was definitely, I wrote down exactly what you put down, which is like, is this the goriest thing we've seen in the Clone Wars so I far? I think so. Because like we've seen decapitated heads before in um, Attack of the Clones when we see Django get mangoed. But, oh, uh, yeah. But that's like just a helmet, you know? And there's it's, no blood. There's no blood. Yeah. I don't even know if, like, so we see blood on Padme's back when she gets slashed by the creature in the arena in episode two. Mm-hmm. It's that, not flowing. It's just kind of there. No, we don't see blood hardly at all. There is a little splatter violence. of blood when Obi-Wan bisects Darth Maul. Yeah. It, you know, it goes towards the camera and I was like, ugh. But this is literally a exploded decapitated villain head floating past the camera and then zoomed in on. I really was like, I'm into it, kind of, but I don't know how they got clearance for this shot. This is kind of a lot. It was was definitely a lot. (laughs) I'm surprised that you didn't like the uh, animation, though, because I actually liked it a fair bit. I thought there were some cool scenes. There's one scene near the end where, so there's actually two different sizes of the squid ships. Mm. And one of them is flying along and it has um, like little portholes on the side and a bunch of uh, Gungans stab it with spears. Oh my God, it's so cool. And then it fills up with water and the droids inside are, ah. And it explodes, mm-hmm. it crashes into the side of the building. Yeah, you know, that makes me think more than anything, this is a deep core memory. So I played with a lot of Legos as a kid for longer than, you know, a lot of kids do because my brother is five years younger than me. Aww. So I play, yeah, I play Legos with him. When I was in the prime Lego era age, they had these cool underwater themed Legos and they had similar like technology to this where it was a bunch of domes and stuff. Mm. And then in true Lego fashion, they had the good guys and the bad guys. And it wasn't that they were like good or bad. It was just the color schemes. You had the blue and yellow ones and like the red and black ones and the art, the color art really strongly reminded me of that. Mm. So I read a really fun fact, little trivia piece, which Mm -hmm. is that Captain Akbar's cool stick that he's holding with the kind of whirls around it mm-hmm. is a deep core memory of one of the producers. And he 
fondly remembers that he got a Captain Akbar, I guess an Admiral Akbar figurine, and it had that same stick. And he would use it as a lightsaber when he was a little kid. I could have sworn it was someone's lightsaber. I know, me too. I thought so as well. But it, no, it's just like a brandishing stick. It's a, it's like a little pistol thing. Yeah, yeah, people, yeah. Yeah. So that was, you know, I think you're onto something with the deep core memories here. <laughs> uh, there's also the element that this is... St- Strongly lifted from the second or third episode of the 2D. Clone oh my Wars. god. Um, the Kit Fisto vibes from the Tartakovsky Clone Wars mm-hmm. are so strong. He is wearing the same costume, yes. shorts and little foot wrappings, and a big smile. And then there's the flying around, there's the blowing of the conch shells. Yeah. And you know, the rest of the plots different for that one and that's like a six minute thing so check it out yeah the the visual motifs were absolutely there they were the same Mm -hmm. across the episodes no but with the animation there was just there was something going on where it was not as crystal clear as we've been seeing in recent clone wars episodes it was murky there was very little that was in focus do you think that's because it was underwater no (laughs) That is not an excuse. Okay. You don't think they did that on purpose? I mean, I guess we'll find out in the next arc because that one's not underwater. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. We will see. When I watched a little Dave Filoni interview after the fact, the scenes that they were showing were rendered much more clearly and Mm -hmm. it looked much more high quality. But that was done after the fact. So Interesting. Who knows? Who knows? I guess we will see what happens in season four to redeem (laughs) the quality of this episode. So... Speaking of quality, there's a lot of quality characters in here. Oh. Which one is getting placed upon the exalted steps of Baywatch? Are you seeing a time Baywatch. for Baywatch? It's time Baywatch, for Baywatch. Baywatch, 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 Baywatch. If you were anybody else, Sam, I think you would absolutely murder me for my bay this arc. Are you choosing Jar Jar? I am absolutely a hundred and ten percent choosing Jar Jar Binks as my bay. Oh. He's he's. I, I mean, I'm gonna need to look at it after this. He is surprisingly up there on Baywatch. He is fantastic. He's above Rex. He's above Trench, which is BS. <laughs> Jar Jar is doing quite well on Baywatch. I'm pretty sure he's going to be up there in the single digits. So here's my main reason, but mm-hmm. I have several. Jar Jar is so ride or die for Padme. Yeah. And friends that are ride or die for each other is that trope that turns me into jello. Like I start <laughs> frothing at the mouth. Some people are like, mm, found family. I'm like, ride or die friendships <laughs> gets me in the feels every time. <laughs> We're in Gungan City. Yoda is holocroning in. He's trying to convince the Gungan leader to go to war in a completely unrelated war that could get thousands and thousands of Gungans killed. And Yoda's like, I know this is a big ask. And the Gungan leader is like, yeah, I'm going to have to think about this for a minute. Mm -hmm. And Jar Jar jumps in. He's like, what is there to think about? This is Padme. She Mm -hmm. has done everything for us. Yeah. Like, there was no hesitation. There was no second guessing. There was no thought of 
Jar Jar's safety, of anyone's safety. He was like, this is our friend. And then Jar Jar himself shows up in the first line of, of soldiers. He does. Yeah. When they swan dive off of that ship and go jetting down into the water. Oh, and they, they don't get close to the water to drop him off. They're like a half mile up. Oh my God, it's crazy. And they're just like, all right, everybody out. Time to- <laughs> they are like yelling their war cries. They go down and they go absolutely ham. And the battle was won. I think, because of the Gungans. Oh, absolutely. They were just so amazing. So, okay, that's one reason. Mm-hmm. Other reason, this is just further evidence that the Gungans are absolutely just as capable as any other race. And the only reason that people are mean to them and don't recognize that is because they're elitist. Like, mm-hmm. lightsabers could not affect the hydrate Medusas, but Gungan spears took them out. Yeah. Yeah, and their orbs hold danger, yeah. And like Gungan waterproofing, spitting phlegm on Padme's helmet. That was like- Saved her life. This is a permanent fix, yeah. Yeah, Anakin and Fisto were just going to stand there like holding a force bubble of air around her head as long as they could. Yeah. Clearly it was not working. Yeah. And Jar Jar was like, if someone would listen to me, I have an actual solution to this problem. Mm -hmm. So that was- uh, three reasons, and that's, I that's I would enough. say they are strong. That's that's strong selling point for Jar Jar. Thank you for coming to my TED talk on why Jar Jar is the best. <laughs> are you how how are you planning to top Jar Jar as base, Sam? Who is your choice? Oh, this is tough. This is tough. So, one of the themes of this episode is mentorship hmm. and growth. Oh, and. I think that there's a lot of really cool things being taught to Princely Char by Captain Akbar and by Ahsoka. Mm. And I think Ahsoka is the one who deserves the nod for her yes! trip here. Yes, she absolutely does. Oh, good, good choice. Uh when she from the moment she shows up and she's like, I rescued you, Anakin, he's like, I had it under control snips and she's like whatever oh my gosh why do we have to have this talk every single time i literally save your bacon. every time and then you know when she's told you need to take care of the prince she's like that sounds like a job that's that is absolutely my job i will take care of this and she sticks to him like glue for the rest of the arc yeah there's yeah. like not hardly a scene with Prince Lee Char in it that Ahsoka is not there being his like right hand lady. And so one of the most important scenes for that They're in the camp, the prison camp. They're standing or floating, I guess, swimming. Treading water. They're treading water over over Admiral Akbar, who's injured. Yeah. And they are surrounded by hydrodroids. And Princely Char bravely says, take me to your leader. Yeah. Like, I'm here to negotiate. And Ahsoka flies in front of him, swims in front of him, and pulls out her lightsabers and is like, there's only eight of them. Like I can I can get us out of here. Oh. And and Prince Char says, sheath your swords. Mm. And she does. She doesn't get all snippy. She doesn't have emotions about that. She doesn't pull an Anakin. No, she's like, You have been the guy with the plan this entire time. I I like sticking close to the guy with the plan, but particularly because that recognizes the point of a Padawan as well as a Jedi, which mm. is when someone else has a plan and they're like, okay, this plan will totally work as long as I can apply a Jedi at this exact moment. And Lee Char is like, I can do this as long as I can apply my Jedis at the exact right yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he- I love that moment when 
he realizes that he needs to liberate all of the people as yes. prisoners. And Ahsoka's like, okay, I like the idea. Where's the strategy? Mm-hmm. She is pushing him to mm-hmm. grow mm-hmm. up in that moment. And I was like, dang. Now, a uh, secondary shout out for Princely Char because his plan succeeded and it would have succeeded with or without Jedi. He did not need the Jedi for this. Yeah, this was a very homegrown solution, it grassroots. Was, mm-hmm, and it was possibly naive. The naivety was tempered by Akbar and Ahsoka working together. Mm. Yeah, I would say the only difference between naivety and idealism is when one works and the other doesn't. That's totally true. If your plan fails, it was naive. Mm-hmm. If it works, it was idealistic and visionary. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great shout out. I would say small shout out to Captain Akbar. Definitely. Who teaches some really important lessons to Lee Char. Mm-hmm. At the end of the first episode, Lee Char is disgusted with himself. He's like, yeah. I can't believe I thought I could fill my father's shoes. And Akbar just puts flippers. a hand on his shoulder, his flippers. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and Ak- Akbar. Like, oh my God. <laughs> Sorry, you're you're saying something. It's just it's that moment when Akbar puts his mm-hmm. flipper mm-hmm. on Leechar's shoulder and says, "You had to learn the hardest lesson for a commander of them all today: mm-hmm. when to stay and fight another day, and when to swim away." <laughs> I can't with you today. (laughs) Oh, my God. Good Baywatch. (laughs) It went swimmingly. All right, well, that's all you can handle. So. <laughs> I'm out. I'm so out. <laughs> what do you want to get for lunch? Sushi? So we're going <laughs> to... We will see you next week for season four. Oh, it feels so good. Episode four, Shadow Warrior. Whoa. And as always, you can find us on all of the social medias, all of the streaming platforms. We are everywhere. We're coming from your fish tank. We're... <laughs> And if you want more Skywalker, feel free to become one of our patrons. Just search for Growing Up Skywalker on Patreon. We really appreciate the support of that. It helps us get, you know, pay for equipment and subscriptions to all the things that we have to do and keep the website on and things like that. So much appreciated. Thank you all. Thank you for your support. And we will see you next Tuesday. And make sure to send this to, you know, one of your mentors. Send it to the one who makes the dad jokes. And also, importantly, put it on the speaker and play it for your fish. (laughs) See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Bye.